good morning to all of you who are uh, not with us and hopefully will tune in later. Um, may not be morning when you tune in. Maybe that wasn't accurate, but uh, at any rate, uh, hope some of you will do that. Um, check your uh, prayer chain and be sure that you uh, stay up to date this week on prayers. I'm uh, going to communicate some of those to uh, Sheila this morning, so the list that comes out should be an, uh, an accurate, updated one. Uh, I'll probably just go by her house on the way home and do that. So uh, for prayer requests, just look there this week, and uh, you, can, you can get caught up. I appreciate those of you flatlanders down here. Well, no, Jim came from off the mountain, you know, so uh, some people are bold and brave. Are you on? Are you up there? Oh, we got y'all are brave. Yeah, so we got some people here who aren't flatlanders, you know, who came out of the mountains. So uh, that's good. Glad to have y'all. Uh, get home safe. Uh, adventurous, spirited individuals. So, yeah, Asa followed me in this morning. He just happened to get behind me, and he was griping again. He tells me all the time I drive like an old man, you know. Uh, but he didn't try to pass me, so I was happy about that. So anyway, we got here. I want to begin with Exodus, <clears throat> the 19th chapter, <clears throat> in the third verse. And I want to read uh, this passage of Scripture to you and, and kind of uh, tell you how I landed on this for a topic this morning. In Exodus, the 19th chapter, the third verse, it says this, And then Moses went up, on, up to the mountain, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. As most of you know, uh, because I've kind of reflected that in my testimony in the last couple of sermons that I preached, um, or messages I shared with you, I got I as a word I don't like. And I like it less since I've been watching the political debates and stuff. Um, I think I want to remove it from my vocabulary. It reeks of arrogance and pride. April was when I, uh, March, officially retired. April was my first month in retirement. And I shared with you kind of how God worked with me about the whole idea of stepping into a place of soaring in the retirement years and uh, what that was going to look like. And, and, uh, I just I just had a focus on that then for uh, these last few months, and so it's led me to look at a lot of passages of Scripture that have that focus. Uh, I've written goals that center around that, and so I'm thinking about it all the time. As I read through the devotionals, I'll mark things that seem to uh, line up with what this really is all about. And uh, in my Bible studies, I do the same thing. I have special markers and stuff that I put down as I'm just studying through and see these passages. And this is, uh, this is one that uh, I came across that caught my eye as I thought about soaring and what it is and, 
and how to acquire it. And uh, I wanted to share it with you this morning because uh, um, it just was something that was significant to me. Um, And I think it'll find maybe some resonance with uh, some of you as well. It's not a one, two, three step kind of thing. It's probably one of those sort of messages you may have spent a little time contemplating. And as you contemplate it, if you take the time and effort to do that, and that, that place I hope to leave you at, at the or ideas I hope to leave you with at the end, it'll be an easy jump for you to begin to really step into the concept of soaring uh, on wings as eagles. And by God's grace, if we're lucky, we'll get there, all right? But we want to take a shot at that this morning. He says here, I carried you on eagle's wings. Again, I can't even start the process without thinking about eagles and the way they fly. And uh, as I'm sitting there, even contemplating this service, I'm looking out, and there's a bird of some kind that's soaring over the lake. Anytime they stock Sacagawea with lake, we have hawks and seagulls and eagles and osprey and everything else that come in to feast. And... uh, it was one of those kinds of birds of prey, and I was just watching it as it soared there uh, in the distance over the lake. And uh, you're just reminded again of the majesty and the grace that these birds have when they fly. And there's just no work to it. They know how to ride the wind. And God says here now, look at this. I carried you on eagle's wings. I carried you on eagle's wings. The eagle, the bird, the body of the thing is carried on its wings. If we were going to carry ourselves from point A to point B, we'd stand up and walk or we'd run. But the eagle, to get where he wants to go, spreads his wings. It's it's an analogy that, that I had to think about a little bit. Because when God said he carried them on eagle's wings... Somehow or another, I wasn't making the connection. It was like I was seeing them being mounted up on wings as eagles. But that's not what this passage says. What this passage says is that God carries them on eagles' wings. And so immediately I went to the story that I'd heard about, you know, mother eagle kicks the babies out of the nest and catches them and carries them up. And that's how they learn to fly, drops them again. And so I just went to, you know, check that out. There's not a lot of validation for that as to whether it's really true or not. Uh, I'm not saying it's not, uh, but uh, uh, it's it's not the kind of a repetitive event that could be well documented if it has happened. And there certainly are testimonies and stories of it having happened. But as I studied the text and thought of that, I don't believe at all that this is what this passage is talking about. But God is definitely saying here, I carried you from Egypt on eagle wings. Okay, if, if I'm going to carry a child, then I, I pick them up and maybe grab them by the arm. I, I've seen a mother do it. A mother picks a child up, grabs them by the arm, sets them on her hip, and off they go, right? And that's why all mothers walk like this when they're old, you know, especially if they have more than two kids, you know, because they've carried so many. Um, if, uh, If I was going to move a child as an ad, uh, as the father, I'm more likely to put them on my back and then run. So the idea is here being carried, if you're just following that, and how you're going to be carried. It's, you're going to back up with the diesel truck and put the commodity on there 
and you're gonna move it to the next place, you know, and you fire it up and you see the smoke and you hear all of these things bring to mind a picture, right? A picture of how something is carried, a picture of how something is moved. Now, if God had said, I moved you like a diesel truck, not the same image. If he just said, I carried you away like he did into captivity, it's a different, it was a different image when they went into Babylon. But he said, I went to Egypt and I got you and I carried you out on eagle's wings. And as I look at this and I watch that eagle, then what I'm thinking is there's an ease about it. You say, well, it wasn't too easy, Rick, because the more God worked on Pharaoh, the more Pharaoh worked on the children of Israel, right? But what did the children of Israel do? What could they have done to have changed their plight? Nothing. Pharaoh had the power. He had the artillery. He had the weaponry. He had the drones. He had the weapons of mass destruction for his day. He had the chariots. They had nothing. And so God moves in and with complete ease to them, other than as God moved, the enemy kicking up against those who God was trying to move, you see it very majestic. I, I see it as something that was uh, not cumbersome for them, that they didn't labor for. And God moves into this, and then he just scoops them up and moves them out in such a way that as they're leaving, they're plundering the Egyptians. You remember the story. So he brings these plagues one after another on the, uh, the Pharaoh, breaks him down, plunders the Egyptians as they leave, and then wipes out the whole Egyptian army as they pursue in the wilderness in the Red Sea. That's a story worth repeating. That's pretty majestic. I mean, we, we teach the story over and over and over to our children. It, it, it makes its way into our poetry. It makes its way into our songs. We, it, it's just, it's a story that I think we recount because it shows the majesty and the power of God in moving people, in moving a nation, in this case, to where he wants them to be. And I'm old, and thoughts don't work well, and uh, I always want to be sure that I'm saying the right thing, so I, I take these thoughts that I have and these kind of allegorical things that I think I'm seeing in the text, and I, and I want to play with those long enough to know that I didn't jump a fence, and I'm sharing something that's not true. So are there other patterns maybe in Scripture where you could look at a situation and say, God moved in and in a mighty way on eagle's wings carried. He carried uh, somebody through something. Uh, immediately, training as a kid. Who's getting mind? Well, if it's not David and Goliath, it's going to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, or it's going to be Lion's Den, right? Now, all of those to me look like pretty amazing rescue operations. Eagle wing rescue op operations is, is what I would call them, okay? Um, 
you go to the New Testament, and, and uh, the one that stuck out to me and, and uh, I wanted to share with you was Peter. Peter was rescued from prison. Do, do you remember that? He had four squads of soldiers around him. Herod had put him in prison uh, because he had um, grabbed James, the brother of John, and run him through with a sword, and that pleased the Jews, and so he grabbed Peter and put him in jail, and after the feast was over, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was going to bring him out, put him to trial, probably do the same thing to him. And he's sitting there in this prison, and it says the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was, was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. He said, quick, get up. The chains fell off his, his wrist, and the angel said, put on your clothes and your sandals. So he did, wrapped his cloak around him, and he, and he followed him. And the angel told him to follow him. And, and uh, let me see where I'm at here. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. Peter thought he was just seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gates leading to the city. And they took a cutting torch and cut right through them. No, it opened. It opened for them by itself, and they went through. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left. And then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. And from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, uh, Mary the, the mother of John, also called Mark, where the people had gathered to pray. And then you remember the rest of the story there. He knocks on the door and they can't even fathom that he's not still in prison. And it gets quite comical after that. That's an eagle wing rescue, don't you think? Maybe an angel wing rescue. This is the kind of thing that I see here. God comes to this nation of Israel who is crying out. He said, I heard their groanings. And as he, as he sees this, and he remembers the promises that he has made to Abraham, he moves on their behalf. I think that uh, this is our story as well. It's the story of mankind. It's what was taught in Genesis. We're a fallen people. We dwell in a fallen and sinful world. We are broken at best. We are in bondage to sin. We are slaves of the enemy. We are trapped by the devil's lies. The forces of hell in this world have so deceived us. And I don't even think a lot of times we realize the predicament we're in. We're so calloused by the world, we don't even get it. I spent a little time in Algeria when my uh, dad was stationed, not stationed, but worked over there with El Paso Natural Gas Company. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of interaction that you could have with media or anything else, just a few people. And I remember coming back to the dormitory as a college kid and was just shocked at how much was going on around us that I found appalling, but only for a while because it just, again, we become deadened to this stuff. Peter, as he spoke to Simon the magician in Acts 3, he accused him of being one full of bitterness and captive to sin. 
I think that pretty well describes mankind. In the second chapter of Timothy, the 26th verse, 2 Timothy 2.26, we are described there as people who need to come to our senses and escape from the traps of the devil who has taken us captive to do his will. This is kind of man's plight. And if we can wake up at some point and realize that this is where we are, then we're in a position to do as the children of Israel did. And in the midst of that, to look for an answer, to look to God and to cry out to God and say, man, this is a desperate situation, a situation of bondage, of defeat, of slavery, of helplessness, of hopelessness. That's a pretty bad place to be. And spiritually, we are there. And some of us have been there physically as well in this world. But spiritually, that is where we are as a people without God. I just fear that in America, we become a group of very needy people who do not recognize our brokenness, our need, and our position with God. He's blessed us so from sea to shining sea, that the blessing has blinded us to the work that God wants to do and the God he wants to be for us. He says it is his kindness that brings us to repentance, and yet it is his kindness and blessing that we seem to be ignoring. I believe that there is a stirring of the winds in America and that things will soon change. And we might find ourselves again, America ready to receive the Lord, America crying out um, as the children of Israel did in Egypt. Are you in need of a rescue? God wants to carry you on eagle's wings. But not everybody gets carried. Okay. Now, here's the part of the passage that really grabbed me in such a way um, that I thought this was a passage that I had to just preach on at some point. Let me ask you a question. God says, I am going to. He heard their cry in Egypt. That's what he says in the verse. Go back to it. I'll read it to you. He says, you yourselves, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings. Where did he carry them? When I'm reading the passage, what I expected to see was he carried him to the promised land. That's what the text says. But if you ask any Bible student, say when God went to them and picked them up in Egypt and carried them on eagles' wings, where did he carry them? What would be your guess? Immediately what came to my mind as I read the passage was he carried him to Egypt or from Egypt to the promised land, right? But that's not what God said he did. In this passage, he's telling Moses that I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you where? I brought you to myself. Now, that, that merited a little bit of pondering, don't you think? All that God did in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, he did in order to bring them to himself. 
Okay. What do you think when you ponder it? The first thing that I thought of was, yeah, I can see that because there was a whole lot of easier ways to do that than what he did. I mean, come on, you're God? Pharaoh could have had a heart attack and died. He could have picked out somebody else to sit on the throne, put him up there, and just said, hey, y'all get out of here. And they would, could have gone. I mean, I can, I can think of a lot of scenarios that would have been a whole lot less time-consuming and a lot less arduous than going through all of the plagues, than going through all that they went through in the pilgrimage to get there, and then all of the wandering in the process when they didn't take the steps that God wanted them to. That whole process was one of God drawing them to himself. And that's what he tells Moses to tell the people here, that I carried you out on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. And there is so much self-revelation in that whole Exodus event, is there not? Of God showing us who he is and how he works and, and trying to mold this people into a people that he can work with and, and a people that will be a testimony in the end to the whole world. Consider the golden calf experience for just a minute in Exodus 32. God was willing, ready and willing to wipe out the children of Israel at that point. If you read the text there, he said that he'd just start over with Moses. I mean, in the world that we live in today, most people wouldn't turn that down. Uh, and God says, you know, the God of the universe came and said, you know, I'm just going to wipe all these people out. We're going to start over and make a whole new deal. And then guess what? It's going to be all you, baby. Most people would jump at that. Moses, he prayed for the people. He stood in the gap for the people. And he says here, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was for evil intent that God brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Our, uh, Moses' argument here, was that there is a testimony going on, not only speaking to the children of Israel, but to all of the world about who, about who God He said, the whole world is mine. And yet out of it, they were going to be his treasured people. And that treasured people was not just to bless them, but to be that treasured people was to bless everybody else and so in his working with the children of Israel he was also speaking to the whole world and so Moses just put that out to him you know Lord you did all these mighty things and you've got us to this point and now you're going to wipe these people out you know there's a there's a real possibility here Lord that if you do that that the Egyptians might not understand you exactly like they want you to or like you would want them to. Let me get it right. And uh, I'm intrigued by the fact that God bought the argument and said, okay, you know, and he relented. You, you, why? Well, a practical mind says because he really did care about the Egyptians. Because he really did care about people having an accurate understanding of his nature and his character and who he was in this world. Not just the children of Israel, but everyone, because it was all his. 
So Moses prevailed. Even if you go back to Abraham, God said in uh, 26 of 4 in Genesis, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. This was not just an Israel thing. This was an all nations thing. God has always been concerned about all of mankind and bringing all of mankind unto himself. Not just the children of Israel, but I think he wants to bring us all to himself. And I think he carries us on eagle's wings to do that. In Genesis, the third chapter, the eighth verse, I'm not really shifting gears here, but it may seem like it for a moment. It says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Now, obviously, if you're a Bible student, you understand that that is a passage after the fall. The implication here is, and we know that it was so, that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden in an amazing relationship before the fall, in a kind of relational fellowship that we can't even imagine. But after the fall, that relational thing that they had before was grossly different. It had been tainted. Um, They were cast out of the garden. They had a kind of understanding now that separated them from God. Uh, A rebellion that separated them from God. A disobedience that separated them from God. But it seems like the heart of our maker from the beginning was to have this incredible relationship with those of us that he created. And it was not an easy thing for him when that was lost. And now we see him reaching out, trying to carry us to himself again, all through the pages of Scripture, trying to carry us again, bring us back to this place and to himself. And so the analogies that I make here only point us ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the implications become incredible. But before I get there, I just want to stress to you again, God is a God who wants relationship with us. And in fact, if we don't have that relationship, we're going to be forever lacking. In the garden, man was there, perfect relationship with God. God looked at it and he said, this isn't very good. It's not good that that man's alone like this. He needs a helpmate. And so he realized it's not good for man to be alone, and he made Eve. Again, we're relational beings, and we are created in the image of God. It says in uh, Genesis that we're created in God's image, and he has made us male and female in God's image. Don't advertise that verse, though. The Democrats are confused about that, and we don't want to mess with them. They think there's 26 last time I heard 
26 different genders anyway. You know, it, it's really not a laughing matter that we have gotten to a place in the world that what is so obvious is denied. I mean, if that doesn't speak to us of the deception of the enemy, of how people have walked in and bought his lies, it's beyond me. I mean, I never dreamed in my wildest imagination as a kid that anybody would ever truly believe there were 26 or plus genders. I don't know how many they got now, that they have now. I listened to my last sermon, and I thought, Ricky, I quit talking that way. I don't know how to talk. I just like to talk like a hick. So anyway, um, we are deceived. We are caught in the lies and the trap of the enemy. I don't care what it is. Uh, it seems like if the Bible says it's worth, some, it's worth something else, spare the rod, spoil the child. And our society says, oh, man, no, we could never spank a child. And I'm not talking about beating a child. I mean, you need to put that in context. We couldn't possibly discipline. Look at the generation that we're raising now. I mean, the Lord tells us he's going to burn this whole thing up in the end. Well, if you were the devil and knew that, the last place you'd want people looking is to the Lord. So you've got to come up with your own story. And I mean, the stuff that we're doing with global warming and all of that mess now trying to save the earth, it ranks right up there with Indian mysticism. It's just the lies of the enemy. It's the lies of the devil. Uh, anyway, this is the lost state that America is in. This is the place from which we need to wake up. And I doubt marching for Black Lives Matter and burning down somebody's store is going to be quite the cause to our college kids that it is today when they're not in college anymore and wonder where their next meal is going to come from. If you don't believe God can humble us, guess again. Am I a prophet? Am I making predictions? No, I just read the Bible and I see how God works. And I agree with Billy Graham's wife. That God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't do something with America. And that's not in the sermon. See, that's the kind of stuff I do. You can cut that if you want, Amanda. That's the kind of stuff I do, and then my three-page, 30-minute sermons turn into way too much, you know. Sorry. So in this place, so in this place, you come to realize that you need an escape that you cannot provide for yourself. A healing that you cannot attain. You don't have the armament, the fire power, the military might, the goodness, the righteousness. You realize somewhere along the line where you stand before this eternal God. And when you do that, you come to Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have an invitation right here. Doesn't it sound like to you to step into an eagle wing rescue? Is that not what that sounds like to you? And this is not exclusive. It says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. It doesn't say, come unto me, Bob, if you're weary and heavy burdened. This was an all-inclusive invitation. In Luke 19.10, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Seek and save that which was lost. Everybody's lost. So it must be the all of everybody that he came after to redeem. God was not just concerned about an eagle wing rescue for the children of Israel, but he was concerned about an eagle wing rescue for the whole world, bringing them to himself. And this is still the God that he is. And we see this in Jesus Christ. And in John 3.16, he says, For God so loved a few people in the world, no, it says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. He came that the world might be saved through him. An eagle wing rescue to a hopeless, bitter, worn out, messed up, lied to individual can step into this and with the ease and the grace and the majesty that God moves with, that we see in Jesus Christ, we are moved into this relationship, this restored relationship that God lost in the garden, has for us now in a new, renewed way, and will culminate ultimately when Jesus comes back to take us to himself. And he sits there at the right hand of the Father. You know, if I was to ask you, how has God carried you on wings as eagles to bring him to yourselves? You all have a testimony. If you're his, you have a testimony and you have a story. And every single one of them is different, isn't it? But you could stand up and tell me how Jesus came to you, how he sought you, how he, you have an eagle wing rescue where the majesty, the majesty and the grace of God moved into your life. Looking for a verse. Here it is. I got it. This is where I want to wrap it up. And this is where I want to get you to think. Colossians 2 and 6. It says, And just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. That's the ESV version. In the NIV, it says, Continue to live your lives in him. Another translation says, You must continue to follow him. So just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, this is the way we're to live. This is the way we're to walk. This is the way we are to follow. All of those are the different interpretations. When we come to this place in our lives 
where the children of Israel were. Recognizing our need, and we cry out in humility to the Lord. He tells us in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that moment, this Savior, who's waiting to move into our life with this eagle wing rescue, is just waiting, and he moves in. And when he moves into your life, you're forever changed. And you don't have to worry whether he will or not. He has said he wants to. He has died on the cross for you. He made provision for us to have life and life eternal. I can say to you resoundingly that if you will get there, come to his truth and humbly bow before him and cry out to the Lord, his answer will gladly be yes. Now go back with me and think about the day when you heard him say yes. Think about how you received him. Think about the heart that you had when you received him. Think about what it was like as you began that process of understanding and knowing and feeling your forgiveness and then beginning to walk in that relationship of following him. Are you kind of trekking with me here? See, I think what we have in Jesus Christ is way more than what God did in burying the children of Israel up, bringing them to himself. I think in Jesus we have the ultimate picture of what God has done in burying us up on eagles' wings and bringing, him, and bringing us unto himself. So here's the homework. If you go and you contemplate that, if you sit and you meditate on that, if you look at that moment, if you, if you can envision your rescue, then in Colossians he tells you this is the place you are to live. Can you remember it? Can you remember your first love? I've gone over mine. I've looked at the bits and pieces. I've examined the faith. I've looked at the joy. I've experienced the grace again. I can remember the actions. I can remember the love. And it, does, it doesn't stop there. It goes on from there. But go back and remember. And here's the deal. If you can live that way, as you came to know him, I believe that's where you're going to soar on wings as eagles. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this rescue that you have given us in Christ Jesus. It is as, it is as if you have carried us on eagles' wings unto yourself in our Lord. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If that is not coming to our aid, hearing our cry, reaching into our need, I don't know what is. And it is all you. We simply, with humility and repentance and love and faith and grace, we receive. And we soar. Take us, Lord, to that place again where we can soar.
to live above it all. No matter how the enemy might come against us, because you are working our rescue, is of no consequence. Because with you we will soar. And I thank you most of all, Lord, for bringing me unto yourself and providing a way for all of us who want restored relationship to come unto yourself. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our moments together. Amen.